if you've written, recorded, and shared music at any stage, at least once and probably multiple times, you've thought about copyright. You've thought about someone potentially stealing your hard-earned music and using it to make a million t trillion t dollars, and then you're left out in the cold. If you haven't, then you're a better person than me, because I certainly have, and I've made my peace with copyright. And I'm going to tell you the story of my philosophy and how I approach copyright. I'm going to do that right at the end, though, because I want to dive into the details. I want to explain copyright. I want to explain content ID on YouTube. We're going to talk about protecting your music, releasing your music, registering with a performing rights organization, and how useful is all of these things in terms of protecting you and your music. Uh, welcome to the Studio Live Today podcast. My name is Pete Johns. If it's your first time here, my goal around here is to help you create, record, and release your best music. And we do that through tips and tricks and tutorials and this weekly podcast. If you'd like to find out all the details, head on over to studiolivetoday.com. And this week, it is all about copyright. And here in 2023, which is the year I'm recording this, it's a little more complex. I'd like to say everything's really easy. Remember the old days? For those that are old like me or middle-aged, remember the old days where they'd say to you, all you need to do to protect yourself is to just make a cassette tape and mail it to yourself, leave it unsealed with the postmark, and then if anyone tries to claim they wrote the song, you just open up your envelope and you show them the tape. Well, I'm not quite sure how that's going to hold up in a court of law. I don't think it's ever really effectively worked that way. But... My philosophy is not far from that, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. With digital music these days, with streaming, with online sharing, with YouTube, with Spotify, with Apple Music, with Amazon, with Tidal, with Deezer, with all of these places, it's become a bit of a minefield. But it doesn't have to be that hard. So I'm going to simplify things down and give you all the information. So uh, sit back, relax, grab yourself a beverage, and let's talk about the wonderful world of copyright. So what is copyright? Well, copyright is you basically owning the rights to your music. Now, the good news is for you as a musician, <clears throat> as a songwriter, as a creator is in almost every country in the world, the copyright laws are such that as soon as you create a work of art, as soon as you create a song, you own the copyright for that song. As soon as you write the lyrics, you own the copyright of that lyric. As soon as you write the music, and record it, you own the copyright to that song. Now, it does vary. There are variations in different parts of the world, but that is good news for you because if you write a song, you own the copyright. The challenge comes in, like all things, as soon as lawyers get involved, my apologies to lawyers out there, but as soon as lawyers get involved, it gets a little more complicated because you have to prove that you wrote the song. Therefore, you own the copyright. So it's not just about what you actually did. It can also often be about how you prove that. So how do you prove it? How do you protect yourself? Well, the number one thing you might have heard of is registering your songs with the copyright office. Yes, you can do that. In the USA, in Australia, in the UK, in most countries around the world, they have a copyright office. And you've probably heard about people registering copyright, trademark, registered trademark, all that sort of stuff. You can actually copyright a song. So you can provide the song, you can provide the lyrics to the song, you can copyright your song. Why am I just sort of skipping over this? Because I've never actually done it. I know. You would think someone like myself that's written many hundreds of songs would copyright each and every one and protect them with my life, jump on them like a grenade if someone, that's, that's a bad analogy, but, but protect myself from other people stealing my music. I don't. 
uh, but other people do. And if you want to spend your time doing that, that's absolutely fine. It's usually a bit of a cost. You usually have to register with the copyright office and there's usually a cost involved in actually registering and getting the copyright. Again, keep in mind though that even if you own the copyright of the song, even if it says copyright Pete Johns 2023 and someone releases the song in 2024, you still got to prove that you did actually write it. Even if you own the copyright before, they, they could have said, actually, you stole it from me. I wrote it in 2022, and here's some proof of that. And then you got yourself a he said, they said, she said, we said situation. So, But it is an option that you do have. Another thing that people often ask me is, when I release my music with a distributor, now, I use DistroKid, but you may use Amuse or CD Baby or TuneCore. There's a heap of them out there. When you release your music with a distributor, does that give you the copyright? The sad answer is no, not, not even a little bit. So uh, you are asked when you release music to say, to tick the box that says, yes, I own the copyright to this music. This is my music. I created it. I own the copyright. But it's not a legally binding thing because, again, it doesn't prove that you didn't take that song from someone else and that you didn't just release it under your name. And unfortunately, a lot of that sort of thing happens which we'll talk about in a little moment when we talk about content ID on YouTube. So, look, it's it's all these things are little pieces of the puzzle. And if you do have a time-stamped release where you released a song on a particular date and then someone releases it later, you can at least come back to them and say, hey, hang on a minute, I released this with DistroKid in May of 2022. You released the exact same song in September of 2022. Uh, I'd like to have a discussion with you, or my lawyers would. But again, guess what? If it's Katy Perry... She's probably got higher paid lawyers than you do. Sorry, Katie, I'm not, not picking on you in particular. Any any artist. We'll call her uh, Skatey Jerry. Yeah, you know Skatey Jerry, that famous 50s uh, doo-wop singer? Maybe. Could be a thing. So if that doesn't protect you, uh, what other options do you have? <clears throat> well, you might have heard of performing rights organisations, a PRO. What's a PRO? Well, we're getting more into the realms here of royalty collection. So you might realise that if you release your music with someone like uh, a distro kid, you go out to Spotify and Apple Music and you get your music released. And then when people stream and spin your tracks or purchase you through iTunes, they will send you royalties. You earn streaming royalties, but they are different from other things like songwriting and mechanical royalties and radio playback royalties. They're all part of registering for APRO or Performing Rights Organization. Now in the US, it's BMI and ASCAP. Here in Australia, it's APRA AMCOS. And I constantly forget the name of the one in the UK, but someone will be screaming it at their podcast player or their YouTube right now. And uh, it'll, it'll be, is it BMS? BMI. No, it's someone like that. PRS. I think it might be actually be PRS. They're all letters. They're all companies that you actually register with. And the difference there is, even if I say, here's all these songs I wrote, here's the names of the song, here's all the songs I wrote. Yes, it means that if they then get radio airplay, then I will actually get paid the royalties for that airplay. But it doesn't really relate to, again, it's another little chick box, I guess, that if you said, hey, I released it to streaming on this date, I registered with a PRO on this date, and I registered it with the copyright office on this date, and you've got all those things lined up and then someone steals your song, yeah, maybe you got a better case. Maybe you, you only need to pay $10,000 to your lawyer to protect you against other people. I know. I'm making it sound a little bit negative, aren't I? I don't mean to. And when we get to the end, I promise, if you listen to the way that I do things and the way I think about this stuff, 
it, it's probably not worth worrying about. I'm not going to over-sensationalize it. You probably don't need to worry as much as even you're thinking about right now. So copyright office, streaming, performing rights, organization, always to protect your music if you are the one creating the music and if you want to defend and protect your copyright from having your song stolen. And remember, the chances, the likelihood that you're going to have your song stolen of all the, one of the great things about the future is that the playing field is so level. So many people can write, record and release so many songs that there's just an abundance of songs out there. Now, it's also the problem. People come to me every week saying, I don't know how to get any traction. I don't know how to get people to listen to my music because there's so much competition out there. So it is also part of the challenge. But it also means that there's plenty of music out there. And, you know, sometimes we might need to be a little humble and show a little humility to the fact that some chances of someone stealing your tunes pretty low but we'll talk about that a little bit more what about the flip side what about using copywriter content because the second big question i get when it comes to copyright is not so much about protecting your music but about what you can use in your music or even in your videos or even in your productions and i get asked questions about things like sampling things like using loops things like using chunks of other songs using free samples and all of these can be a very slippery slope. So I wanted to talk about that for a moment here. Now, to my GarageBand users, to my Logic Pro users, I know many of you are in the audience for this podcast. You needn't fear because you can use anything that's native and stock, any of your Apple loops that are in GarageBand or Logic Pro, any of your instruments in those are all royalty free and able to be used for commercial use royalty free. So you're cool, right? Right? Sort of. We'll talk about why sort of in a moment. The challenge that you have, though, is that sometimes if you're using, so say someone puts a beach on YouTube and they might say, free beach, use this with your songs. And you're like, cool, free beat. And you go and you grab the beat and you throw it into your DAW, you wrap over the top, you add your instruments, you do all your thing, you release your song. Free beat. Uh, yeah. How free was it? Was it free with attribution? Was it a Creative Commons license with attribution? Was it uh, completely free to use? Was it free, but then they changed their mind and added content ID to it, so now it's not actually free? Was it free at the time, but then they decided to sell that beat to someone else and give them exclusive rights and blacklist every other person that used that beat? Yeah, you can see why some of this stuff is a slippery slope. And my number one rule, Pete's golden rule of copyright avoidance, and yes, I don't say evasion, I say avoidion, is this. If in doubt... Do not use someone else's content. Full stop. Full stop, capital letter, next sentence. If you want to stay 100% in the clear, just don't use anyone else's anything. What about fair use, you may ask? We'll talk about that in a moment. But if you want to stay 100% above the board, don't use any loops, don't use any samples, don't use any bits of content that you don't know the origin of. Because here's the other problem. What if someone grabbed a whole bunch of paid-for samples and then chucked them in a pack and then put them online and sold them to you and said that they were free for use, for, for your own commercial use, but someone else already owned those and they'd already stolen them? Like, it's really difficult to follow back. And when we talk about Content ID, you'll learn why it can be really challenging and it can be a slippery slope. But the again, the, the big advice there is if you want to make sure that your stuff is completely your own, just make sure that you're using only your own stuff and you'll be absolutely fine. Make your own loops, make your own beats, make your own samples, make your own sounds and you'll be 100% 
safe. I alluded to it, but it's time to talk about Content ID. Now, Content ID has great intentions and uh, subjective levels of implementation. So what is Content ID and how does it relate to you and your music? Well, it's related to YouTube, who are owned by Google, who are owned by Alphabet, who are like one of the biggest companies in the world. And if you are releasing music and if you're sharing music, you're probably doing something with YouTube. Even if you're just releasing as a music as music through a distributor, it is probably going out to YouTube Music, which used to be Google Music. Now it's YouTube Music. So you've probably got a relationship with YouTube, even if you didn't know or think you did. And why is this important? Well, YouTube implemented so the early days of YouTube history lesson. Back in the old days with Pete Johns, uh, history lesson about YouTube. So when they first started. They simply said no copyrighted content whatsoever. You cannot put anything that you don't 100% own. They just went full 100%. People started just sharing stuff anyway, yeah? Because you can't control what people put out there. Guess who didn't love that? The music studios and the movie studios and the TV studios and the content creators and everyone who was creating unique content because it was just getting stolen and re-uploaded and repurposed out the wazoo. There's your wazoo mention for those playing the bingo card at home. We'll get a righty-dokey later. So what did they do? Well, they implemented a content ID system called Content ID. And what this does is it actually identifies when people are using your content as part of their videos on YouTube. And because YouTube is like the number two search engine in the world behind only Google, although maybe that'll change in the future, maybe it'll be AI bot or whatever new upstarts coming through now, or chat GPT, everyone's just going to chat GPT to search for things. How do I change a light bulb? Chat GPT just gives you a four paragraph uh, statement about it. As a large language model, I don't know what a light bulb is, so I can't give you that advice. Are we getting off track? A little bit. So Content ID does that. How is this important to you and your music? Well, if you are releasing a song, you've got a choice you can add your song to the Content ID library. And what that'll do is it'll sample your song. You get a four-minute song. It samples that whole song, and it creates digital fingerprints of that whole song, little ID markers. And then if someone else uses your song in their, mu in their music, in their video, it'll actually flag that, and it will create a content claim, a copyright claim via Content ID. Now, if someone just grabs your entire song or re-uploads your entire song, and you've got your settings set in a very aggressive way, it won't actually give them a Content ID claim, it'll give them a copyright strike, which means that you can choose to say, not only will you take that down off of YouTube, please YouTube, but you will actually penalize the person who did it. So that's why you, as a creator, if you're putting your stuff on YouTube and you're using stuff from other sites or other services or other artists, yeah, go back to rule one, Pete's golden rule of copyright. If in doubt, use nothing that you don't own, that you didn't create yourself. Now, why is this a slippery slope? You might think, well, that's fine for me because I just use loops. I just use samples. I, I make sure that I get them from good sources. I use GarageBand, Apple Loops. I'm 100% fine. And you probably are. This isn't scare week. I'm not going to try and make you feel bad about what you do. But what's happened recently is because uh, any system that is put in place can be abused. It can be abused very easily. So you can abuse the system by grabbing someone else's work and adding Content ID to it. So here's where the copyright stuff gets a little bit tricky. What if someone grabs a whole pack of free loops and samples, makes songs with those, and then adds Content ID, and then you use those free loops and samples, and you make a song, and you get claimed, because guess what? Your song 
sounds like their song that they put content ID on. And this is why Pete's second golden rule of copyright is please, for the love of your deity of choice, choose not to put content ID. I know, I know, I've just told you that it's a way to protect yourself. It's a way to protect your music online. Why would I then say don't use it? It actually makes life a lot more difficult for everyone. And the benefits, you might be thinking, this is all good, but is the benefit just to protect the artist and make sure that no one's stealing their music? Well, no, because unfortunately they added a monetary component to that. So what you can actually do is if you're releasing your music, let's say you're releasing music through DistroKid. DistroKid have the option to add content ID to your release. And most other distributors do, unfortunately. Some even give it to you as part of the deal because they think it's good. Personal opinion, I don't think it's good. Your mileage may vary. So they give content ID to people that are releasing music, or you can choose to add it. Then what happens? If someone with a monetized YouTube channel, so they have to be part of the YouTube partner program, uses your song in one of their videos, you get the revenue, or at least part of that revenue, instead of them. So a copyright claim is made, and then if, if they're getting, if they've got 10,000 views, and they've made $10 from that video, and don't laugh, that's probably a very good rate of money for 10,000 views on a video, <laughs> then you might get $5. You might get paid five bucks of that. It's probably more likely that they're going to get 100 views and you're going to get about four cents. And the reason that that's a problem is that it actually costs you. Every time you release a song or release an EP or release an album, it's either built into the price with your distributor or it actually will cost you to actually release using Content ID. There are ways, very tricky, very complex ways of adding Content ID without using a distributor. But you kind of have to be a big player to do that. YouTube aren't going to just accept your claim or your, your information without it going through a third party. So this creates all sorts of headaches because you could have used a free sample or a free loop from a free pack that it said it's 100% usable with commercial use. You've made your song, you've put it out there to the world. And then you get a content ID claim and you're like, what the, what is this? And you look at the song, you're like, this song has nothing to do with me. And then you go and you listen to the song and yeah, it doesn't sound like your song, but for a couple of bars, you hear this one familiar beat and you're like, oh no, that was that one free loop that I used in the back section of this one part of my bridge. And now I have a content ID claim on that one. So again, Pete's first and second golden rule of copyright is, uh, yeah, like if in doubt, don't use anything, even free stuff, if you want to be completely safe. But the second rule there is don't be the dick. Don't add content ID to your music because other people will then get those sort of things happening. Because And look, even though DistroKid and other distributors say, that's why you, you might have noticed even though you can use free samples and you can use things like GarageBand, Apple Loops, DistroKid will say, you can't. You kind of can. And look, I've, I've used Loops. and I'll give you some tips about using Loops in a moment. But I have and you can. But quite often it says, no, you can't. And uh, the reason for that is, especially if you're adding content ID, you can't. You definitely can't because they don't want to be part of the process of you releasing a song that has a loop in it that you've used for free. And that now when other people use that same free loop, it'll claim their song as yours. Now, I talk about content ID claims in a lot more detail in some other videos. I'll link some of those down in the description in the playlist so you can go through and get all the information because there's copyright strikes, there's copyright claims, there's a whole bunch more to know about content ID. But 
I guess what I will say is that content claim, especially if you don't have a monetized YouTube channel, if you get one, it's not the end of the world. I do a show called Your Music Live every week. I get between three, four, five, six, seven, up to 10 content ID claims every week. And look, I'm not saying that these people are deliberately saying, oh, I'm going to release a song and then get it played on Pete's show and then take all his revenue because, uh, dirty little secret, I don't monetize those streams. So 50% of zero is still zero. Sorry, I don't know why I'm whispering. You can, you can still hear me. Uh, so yeah, so it just goes to show. And that show may be viewed by, you know, a 1,000 to 2,000 views per week. So even if there was monetization on those, even if there were ads playing during those streams, the person who may have paid $5, $10, $20 for content ID on their song, I hate to break it to you, but you probably might get a cent or two if you're really lucky back through the other way. And that's the thing. That's why I, I recommend against Content ID because it creates a lot of hassles and it really is more for protecting really big artists and really big songs that might be used incorrectly by really large creators. So yeah, look, Mr. B, Coldplay don't want Mr. Beast to use their song in one of his videos that gets a billion T views and makes a billion dollars and them not get a cent. I agree with that. But you as an independent creator, which is probably who you are listening to this podcast or watching this video, you're probably not going to get played on a Mr. Beast video and you're probably not going to even break even with whatever you've paid. And remember, even if you say, but my distributor doesn't charge, they do. They charge you for content ID. It's just built in to what you pay. If you use someone like CD Baby or TuneCore, if it's part of the package, they've built that in because it costs them. It costs them to register with YouTube for content ID. That's a long time to talk about content ID and copyright with YouTube, but it's the question I get asked a lot because, you know, my life's on YouTube. You're probably sharing stuff on YouTube. It's important to know. I mentioned uh, a two-word phrase during that rant, and it was fair use. You might be thinking, Johns, you worry too much, bro. It's all fair use. I know about fair use. You can use up to three seconds of any song in any video in any one of your songs because it's fair use. It's not. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. Fair use is not a get out of jail free card. It's not even something that you can say you've done. Fair use is a legal principle that your lawyer can use to defend you when you are sued for using someone else's content. That's about all it is. So by using other people's content and saying, oh, I was using it with fair use, well, it doesn't really make sense. It's not really something that you can say in that way. There is fair use principles that are legal principles, but they're also kind of morphing and changing over time as well. And there's nothing that he, a lot of people say, oh, it's two seconds, it's three seconds, it's five seconds, it's 10 seconds. It's a minute. I've heard so many variations of it. It's none of that. Fair use actually relates to the fact that if you are doing if you are doing transformative work, if you are doing social commentary, if you are a news site, if I if I did a podcast, so let, let's just go with this for a sec. If I did a podcast and I grabbed a 30-second chunk of a Mr. Beast video because my podcast was all about great YouTubers and how they create content, and I played a piece of content and I said, I broke it down. I said, here's why this content works. At the start, he led with this, and then he said this, and then he did this. That... I could say that was fair use. It'll still get a copyright claim, and then I can actually put through a dispute. We didn't talk much about disputes, but you can dispute a copyright claim, and I can dispute it, and I can say fair use. And they can say, 
No, we don't believe so. They might say, look, Mr. Beast's a good guy. He might just let his legal team might just press the button and say, release it then, fine, fair use, whatever. But if he chooses not to and they push back and say, nope, not fair use actually, uh, and you push again, it gets to the point where it's, again, you probably don't have the time, energy, or uh, uh, the finger thing needs the money um, to fight something like that in the court of law. So it comes back to Pete's golden rule of copyright, which is if you, if in doubt, don't use anything at all. But uh, for instance, I, I watch a podcast called This Week in Tech, and there was a there was a segment where they played a clip from, I can't even remember what it was. It was something to do with Paddington Bear. It was something to do with London. And they played this clip and they were talking about it because it was part of the news. It's a news podcast. But they got a content ID claim on YouTube all the same. Now, they could have gone in and fought it, but here's the problem. They're a news podcast. It's already, if they play that, if they don't just accept it and remove it, because that's what you can do, you can cut the segment or you can mute out the audio. If they don't remove it, they might be two, three, four days without having that anywhere. And then who's going to watch a news or listen to a news podcast two, three, four days afterwards? And it can be the same for your music. If you release it, even if you're in the right, guess what? Technology and the systems don't actually care that they're not sentient. As much as some people think that ChatGPT is falling in love with them, it's not. And they're not sentient. They're just following a list of arguments. They're going one, two, three, four, five, six, ten. Give you a copyright claim, twenty, go to ten. <laughs> they're stuck in a loop there. And they're just going to do what they're programmed to do. Now you cannot like it and you can fight against it and you can go into battle. Do you have time? Do you have energy? Do you want to do it? If you want to, go your hardest. But I wanted to cover that because a lot of the time people say, nah, 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 bro, I just used a five-second clip from that Wu-Tang Clang track and now I've thrown it in my song and it's fair use. Well, that doesn't actually really qualify as fair use. That's just you using their music instead of making your own. I know that might sound harsh because I love remixes. I love remixes. I love sampling. I love all this stuff. Get permission. Simple. <laughs> if anyone wants to remix any of my songs, I give them permission. If anyone wants to use any samples, anything from any of my songs, I give them permission. And look, I don't even put content ID on. So if you wanted to go and grab anything that I've created ever and use it in something, you're not going to get a content ID claim because I don't use it, I don't believe in it, and uh, I'm not going to come at you for copyright. The only thing I do, because YouTube gives me this tool, is occasionally for a laugh, just for a bit of fun, I'll go in and I'll see who has completely lifted an entire video of mine from YouTube and re-released it on their channel because YouTube gives you that tool. And I can see how much of what video someone has used in their video. And look, if it's, if it's a minute here or two minutes there, I don't care at all. I don't even look at it. If it's the whole video, I go and look at it. And if it's had more than maybe 100 or 200 views, maybe I'll just flag it and say, please remove this. And if they don't, then I'll press the button to get it kicked off. But nine times out of 10, don't even have the time to look at it because I just don't care. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's where we are with YouTube. And that's a few tips and tricks and ideas. But I'm interested in your views. Before I share my opinion, before I share my method and my philosophy when it comes to copyright, I would love to hear from you. I, I'm more than happy to be wrong. I actually love being wrong. You don't learn if you're right all the time. And this is a learning experience. Things are changing and evolving over time. And I've only learned this through trial and error, through listening to people much smarter than me, and through my experiences and the experiences of those around me. So if you've got other experiences with copyright, with content ID, with copyright claims, with copyright strikes, is it all not fair? Is it all too hard? I don't know. I've, I, I tend to think it's all okay and we're all going to be fine. But Here's my philosophy. So let's finish on this. What do I do? Nothing. 
No, I don't do nothing. I use, I use a method that I like to call hiding in plain sight. Now, what do I mean by that? Hiding in plain sight means I do all of my production completely in the open. So as you know, if you've been around the YouTube channel, if you've been at studiolivetoday.com, you'll see that when I'm writing a new song, I'll do a video on the songwriting process. I'll do a video on the mixing, on the mastering, on the releasing. I'll actually document it. Now, I know you might be saying, Pete, I don't have a YouTube channel. I'm not going to do that. But you could. Yeah, you could. You could do that. And you don't even have to release it. Like we've got platforms like YouTube and Facebook. You can release unlisted and private videos to all these platforms. You can just record yourself and save it on your hard drive. And look, it's not going to help you. It's not going to completely change it or completely protect you. But for me, like I've just written a song. My new song is called One Moment. And if you if you go back about two months, you'll see me show, show it on one of my shows where I'm like, here's the voice recording of me doing it. And I hold up my phone and I play the voice recording. And then you see me trying to turn that voice recording into a demo song. And then you see me recording and mixing the demo. And then you see me recording the guitars and the vocals. And, and then you see me mixing and mastering. And then you see me releasing it. So for me... I've decided that hiding in plain sight is going to be so much easier, so much better, so much more productive for me. Because if someone comes at me now and they're like, oh, here's my new song, it's called One Moment, and they release it now, that the onus goes on to them in the, in the court of public opinion, but also in a court of law if it ever got that way, the onus is on them to prove that they have some publicly shared videos earlier than the ones that I did. And it's going to be very difficult for them to do that. So that's that's the way that I look at these sort of things. So whenever I see people that are very protective of their music, that don't look, I know, I get it. There's probably songwriters who have absolutely shocking stories about how they were behind the scenes, they were working on a song, it was amazing. They sent it to a producer friend of those who sent it to another studio exec who sent it to another producer and then suddenly Michael Jackson releases Thriller and they're like, but I wrote Chiller a year earlier and it was my beat and it was my idea. And they're like, well, prove it, prove it, sunshine. And because they trusted in and it's really weird because there's more stories like that where someone doesn't have it and the other part of that the other thing that is part of my philosophy is that ideas and music and songs and things are abundant they are everywhere they're not limited so if you're so worried that you've got this one idea it's the only idea you're ever going to have and it's the idea that's going to make you a million dollars number one to break it to you, you're probably a little delusional because that's not usually how it works. Number two, you're going to be able to do it again. If you've got that much talent, you're generally going to be able to do it again. Am I, am I just, you know, looking at the glass half full? Am I not being realistic enough? Maybe. I'd love to hear your opinion. Let me know. But my, my philosophy is very much around that view of hiding in plain sight. And here's the thing. I talk to so many people who are not making enough music for a number of reasons. They're, they're too busy. They've got work life. They've got family life. They've got community. They're doing a bunch of stuff. That's cool. So if you've got 10 hours a week to create music and you're spending even one, two or three of those 10 hours worrying about copyright, registering songs with the copyright office, not sending things, not sharing things and getting feedback from other people because you're so scared and so worried they're going to steal your stuff. I just don't think it's the best use of your time. For an independent creator, for many of us that are in this for mostly the enjoyment, mostly the satisfaction and the gratification of actually creating and recording and releasing our best music, I just don't think it's the best way to spend your time. That's my view. 
your view is going to be different. And I would love to hear from you. If you're watching the video version here, whether you're watching the live premiere or you're catching up on the replay, please leave your comments down below. Share your stories. I always love to hear them. And if you've got a bad one and you want to share it, that's cool too. If you've got a positive story, that's cool too. Uh, again, I love hearing everyone and I love hearing everything you have to say when we talk about these topics because it's an important one. It's a slippery slope. And again, I don't know everything. I'm not an expert. I, I think as soon as you call yourself an expert, you've probably stopped learning and you'll very quickly slip away from that expert status if it ever existed anyway. So that is going to do it for this one. I would like to uh, point you towards studiolivetoday.com. That is your one-stop shop for everything. Recently, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast as it's coming out, recently we've been looking at gear for your home studio. It was Amazon Prime Day just recently. I had that mixing and mastering videos that I did for Logic Pro on iPad. So if you're a Logic Pro iPad user or you're interested in how to create music on your iPad using Logic Pro, check those ones out. All of that and more over at studiolivetoday.com. If you're listening to this one on the audio version, please leave a rating on your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is always good. One star, I'd rather you email me. And you can do that at pete at studiolivetoday.com. I will get back to you in a reasonable amount of time. That's usually a week to two weeks uh, at maximum because sometimes we have a bit of a backlog. And don't forget to check out all of the other great shows such as Your Music Live, because it's all about your music. And uh, I want you to create music. I want you to get out there and create music this week. And I also want you to be kind to yourself. I want you to be kind to others if you can. And uh, I would love for you to keep creating. And I'll see you next time here on the Studio Live Today podcast. Bye for now.